Well, good morning, faith builders. How y'all doing this morning? Man, praise and worship. Come on. Wow. I love, I love getting the presence of the Lord. I want to share something with you this morning. I was not going to do it. Um, AV team doesn't know we're going to do it. We, that I was going to do this, so I'm going to do it from my phone. Um, but something that was a little, um, uh, just a little thing the Spirit of God put in my, my, my heart to share with you. You know, Thursday nights, uh, we have something that we've kind of rebranded called uh, prophetic prayer gatherings. And the reason why we call it prophetic prayer gatherings is because it's exactly that. We gather together. And the prophetic begins to flow, and the prophetic then gives us a vein of how to pray. How many likes it when God speaks, and then we pray about what God's saying? Amen? Otherwise, it just becomes kind of boring, litigious, and sort of we're just showing up to do, you know, prayer meeting. I really want to flow with what God's saying, what, what God's doing, and something that's fresh. And so on Thursday nights, we just flow and allow the Holy Spirit to move um, in the sense that we, we, we want to hear. Our, our ears are open to hear. And... Um, I would say just about every single time we get together, God speaks prophetically and gives us a word. Uh, the last couple of uh, services have been over the top. Uh, last Thursday, by the way, was over the top once again. A uh, strong prophetic word came forth. And then we talked about this on the, at the end of Thursday night, um, prophetic prayer gathering, uh, this last one that um, I asked people, and we're here if they would want to see us uh, follow up with some of these prophecies that God has been given us. We're going to transcribe them and kind of maybe come on the platform and kind of go over them and see what God is saying. And everybody seemed to be unanimous and said we'd love to do that. So we're going to do that as well. We'll advertise that, let you know um, that that's coming ahead of time so you can prepare for that. Then we'll talk about the prophetic and what God's saying. So uh, with that said, back in September of last year, almost one year ago, um, just about within a few weeks, about a year ago, um, there was a word that came forth that I want to share with you and then make a couple comments about it. How many is ready to see revival happen? Yeah. Revival. To revive what seemingly was dead, what seemingly looked like it wasn't, it's, it has no life in it, and then to revive it, to bring it back from the dead. That's what revival actually means. God breathes life into his church which breathes life, life into the world. Somebody say amen to that. And we need a lot of that. You say, do we need a faith bills? Absolutely. There's areas that we need, we need life. Amen. Every church does. We, we've not experienced revival yet, but we're about to. And um, the Lord spoke about this, um, and I thought it was very interesting, uh, and, and kind of give you a little snippet, too, about when we do these, um, these meetings, we go over our prayer, our, our, our prophetic, to find out what God actually is saying. Um, it, it causes us to begin to be encouraged um, because God spoke it before it happened and then gives a vein for us to pray, begin to hit it in the spirit. So let me share this with you. I'm going to do it from my phone, and uh, I'm going to hope for the best here. Y'all ready? We'll just cut the music out, Tony, for just a second, and uh, here we go. He shall take her place. I see the Lord gripping his hand upon like if Milwaukee was a man or a woman and lifting them up out and into their rightful place. I see a humbleness that the city is going to be known for that all of a sudden is going to get a national and international recognition, much, much like the Bucks gave not that long ago. And I hear the Lord saying, I'm going to crown the city once again. And the Lord says, and when the city is crowned once again, it will be your sign that revival has now begun. 
And I hear the Lord say, prepare yourselves. Get ready. Even this pastor, I'm hearing the Lord say, prepare yourself, son. Get ready for you've not seen anything yet of what I'm about to do. And he's going to need us in the days ahead to run. And I hear the Lord saying, prepare yourself spiritually, mentally, and physically. Get yourselves ready to run the race, says the Lord, for the things that you have only dreamed about and the things I promised you, some of you even 25 years ago. The Lord says, now is that time. And surely you will see your signs, says the Lord. As I crown the city once again, and there will be another humility. Not that you would be humbled, but that there'll be, it'll come out of a place of humbleness. And the world will take note of it, says the Lord. For the Lord says, and that will be the sign. And because of the humility, the Lord says, where there is humility, there is my grace abounds. And now that I'm going to pour out my grace upon this city like unprecedented, like you've never seen. Not because faith builders prayed but because my people have been praying for many years, for many generations, says the Lord. And yes, you will take your part in it as well, says the Lord. For the Lord says, get ready for your day. For the Lord says, you are now going to begin to move into your not only national expression, but your international expression, says the Lord, because it will have been birthed out of the place of humility, not out of the place of pride, says the Lord. For I will resist the proud, but I give great grace and favor to the humble, says the Lord. Somebody shout yes! Somebody shout yes! Now, let's talk about it for just a second. Oh, it's not off yet. It's still, I'm praying in tongues here. I'm praying in tongues. No, I'm done praying in tongues. Um, because, um, and I don't believe this word is completed yet, but I, I see, I begin to see the signs of this word coming to pass. Let me tell you, if you haven't heard yet, um, our mayor, um, Cavalier Johnson just made the announcement that the RNC, the Republican National Committee has made the choice and we were on the roster to, for it to happen, but Nashville was going to be before us for whatever reason, Nashville backed out of the of the whole the whole deal and he made the announcement that the rnc is going to come in 2024 and have their convention right here in milwaukee now this is a big deal you say what's politics got to do? it has nothing to do with what i'm saying right now it's the fact that this is going to garnish national and international attention. As the word said, God said, I'll crown the city. I'm not gonna get, I, there's so much I want to say about it, but let me just say this. I'll crown the city, and it will it'll be in a spotlight like the Bucks put us in the spotlight not too long ago. It'll be like that. And he said this. He said, and it will come out of a place of humility or humbleness. So the mayor gets up and says, it's about time we start making decisions in this country that are bipartisan. They, we humbly receive them into our city, hope they go to all our restaurants, hope they spend all their money and patronize all of our businesses, and we have the potential of bringing a quarter billion dollars into this city. Now, you say what you want, but I didn't know that was going to come to pass. You didn't know that was going to come to pass, but here we are. Could it be, could it be that we're on the precipice of a revival by 2024? We got to get ourselves prepared. We got to get ourselves ready for what God's about to do. Somebody say yes to that. 
And it came out of a place of humbleness, God said. That's exactly what he said. I would say right now in this world where people are picking sides like we've never seen before, that's, that's a pretty humble thing. And so, um, I'm, so I'm pretty excited to see what God's going to do out of that. I believe God's going to give us revival. And this is, I believe, a sign, at least to Milwaukee, that revival's coming here. And I say, Lord, let it start here. Praise God, let it start right here. So I'm pretty excited about that. Years ago... Uh, my wife and I, we were very young and, and, um, and um, you, know, you know, back in those days in particular, you know, you're watching every dime, right, that comes in, every, every nickel that comes in because you're young, got a very young family and, and uh, we were in the ministry and, and so the ministry only could provide what the ministry could provide. And, um, and so, and we were, we were never complaining. It is what it is. And so God would always provide. There was always things, honey, if you recall, there were things that were just miracles. Just God would do little things and drop food off for us or take care of our kids' clothing or someone would pay for uh, a little this or a little that. Whatever it was, it was just like our bill would come up due. And how are we going to do this? And supernaturally, someone would come and give us 250 bucks or, or $500 or whatever. And so it was just great in those days. But it got sometimes a little stressful. And one day we got a call from... The IRS. How many doesn't like a call from the IRS? I don't like a call from the IRS. We got a call from the IRS, and uh, they were telling us that we owed them from whatever year it was. It might have been two or three years previous, but we owed them about $350. Now, back in those days, that'd be like a $700 bill right now, right? And so, I mean, and here we are. We didn't have any savings, and so where are we going to come up with this money? And so I, I, I called them, and... and um, and I said, well, what can we do about this? And they said, well, you know, all we can tell you is that the bill is paid. Maybe we can give you an extension of time to pay it, but it's got to be paid. And so I went to, um, I went to our, our guy, to our tax guy, to see what we could do. And, and he was like, you know, he says, I, we didn't make any mistakes here. And he said, but I, I, they're, saying, I said, they're saying we owe money. He said, I, I realize that, but there's, there's, you don't owe any money here. You don't owe anything. And I said, so well, I'll get back on the phone. I called, and, you know, they, they, they put you on hold and put you to somebody else and couldn't get a hold of anybody. Nobody gave us the answers. And finally, they just said, well, you just owe the money. And so we were trying to get our pennies together to pay this little bill. And um, all of a sudden... We get, uh, honey, you have to help me in this now. That with, the, with I want to see if I'm getting the story right. Um, we, we all of a sudden, we get in the mail uh, a check from the IRS for the amount of $750. We thought, well, hold on a second. We owe $350. And I said, how in this world? Now, now remember, we're, we're, we're people that give our tithes and our offerings. And we already we grabbed hands and agreed, Lord, do a miracle. We don't know how to do this. And. So we just need a little time to get the money together, but Lord, we're asking you for some sort of extension here, something to help us with. And, um, and so anyways, we, we, we prayed, we released it, and then it came back. They gave us a check for 750 bucks. So my wife gets on the phone and calls me and says, are you sure that, you know, you, uh, it says there's a check here for this amount of money. Is it ours? I said, yeah, that's, you know, we saw that we made a mistake here, there, and the other. They said, okay, great. Well, we thought we had the money to take care of the 350 now to pay back the IRS. We're going, we don't know how this is working, but we're praising God that it is. And before we could pay the 350, we get another check from the IRS in the amount of $750. And we thought, well, this is definitely a mistake. So we end up calling them and said, no, it's no mistake. We actually, you didn't make a mistake. We can see now that the 350 you owe, that's on our end. We, we made that mistake, but we ended up owing you $1,500. And so we paid you in two installments of $750 each. And we got our money from the IRS, y'all. 
I don't know about you, but God's a supernaturally death-canceling kind of God. Amen, church. And if he did it for us, he'll do the same thing for you. Somebody say amen. Look at your neighbor and say, God will do it for you too. And so we had this incredible thing that God did for us, knowing that God will do the same for any of his people. Let me just say this. The Bible says that when the thief is found, he has to repay up to seven times. Everybody shout restitution. I pronounce this over you. God's about to put things back in your life that the enemy stole over you. You're about to get your restitution. How much ready for seven times more? Come on, shout, I'm blessed. Title of my message this morning is Put It Back. Father, we love you and we thank you so very much for your precious anointing in this place, Lord God. We thank you for the, your word that never comes back, returns to you void. It does what it's supposed to do, what it was sent to do. Let your word now go forth, Lord God, out of me. Anointed, I pray, of your spirit. Anointed ears to hear your word from this room, through those cameras, through the internet, to those watching, Lord God, on the other side and this, this church uh, online campus, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we give you praise and glory for it in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. And amen. Okay, uh, there was a, a, a man of God, most of you probably don't know who he is. How many of ever heard of Lester Sumrall? Lester, okay, quite a few of you do. Okay, he's got a lot of books. If you haven't read his books, you should get it. Dr. Lester Sumrall, uh, he's now with the Lord, has been with the Lord since the mid-90s. And I got an opportunity, my wife and I, to meet him in about 1994. I believe that was the year he either passed or it was the year after that. But we had the opportunity to have him in our church in Beloit all those years ago and got a chance. I actually picked him up from the hotel and got to drive him. He's a legend in the body of Christ, um, a, a mountain of a man, uh, an apostle of faith, if you will. Uh, God has used him in so many supernatural things. And he left America uh, to preach uh, as a young man uh, in his 20s uh, with, with a man named Smith Wigglesworth. How many have ever heard of Smith Wigglesworth? The man, healing apostle, a great man of God, and he was, uh, he was his protege. And learned from him uh, and actually stayed in his home many times and um, sat at his feet many times. And, and Smith Wigglesworth would bless him and anoint him and, and transferred that anointing inside of him before he passed away. So this man has an incredible anointing when he walked on the earth. And, and he went to the Philippines. God spoke to him to go to the Philippines and start a church there. He had the largest non-denominational church in the islands uh, at that time. Uh, thousands of people came. He had so many testimonies and so many different stories of supernatural things that would take place. You know, in third world countries, a lot of times the supernatural is not near as hidden as it is in America. It's right out there in the streets. You'll see it. I've been to the Philippines, and I know there's, you know, this, there's a lot of demonic things, a lot of spiritual activity that happens in those places. And... Um, and no doubt, it was the same for Dr. Lester Sumrall. He's got quite a few uh, testimonies online you can actually see and, and, and listen to. And one of the things was there was a, there was a little girl uh, who had, was bitten by demons while she slept. And so they put her, they thought she had some sort of psychiatric problems and put her in a hospital by herself. But when they woke up and when she woke up in the morning, uh, the doctors could see that she had been bitten, not where she could bite, but in her back the back of her thighs, her very back, the back of her neck, places you can't be bit, and there was bite marks all over her. She was being tortured and t tormented by a demon spirit. And um, Lester Sumrall had heard about this, and he said, uh, I'm going to go and I'm going to cast the devil out of this girl once and for all. I love the old school saints. 
They just said, that's a devil. We're going to get rid of that devil today. That's just the way it is. He goes in, and he was able to go in as a minister. He goes in and um, uh, to no avail. He starts trying to cast his demon out, and it's fighting back and everything. He was kind of discouraged, and, um, but the Lord spoke to him on the way out of the hospital and said that uh, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. And so he went on a fast. I don't remember how long he was on a fast for. He went on a fast, but he said, I'm going to return, and we're going to cast that demon out of her. Well, this began to travel all over the Philippines. News broke out all over the entire globe. People from London, people from America, Australia, you name it, they came uh, by the droves to cover this story of this man who's going to cast out demons from a little girl who's been bitten uh, by these demons. And so, of course, this is obviously, you know, this, this, is pretty, this is pretty good news, right? It sells a lot of newspapers. And so now the pressure's on him to do it, but he decides, I'm not going to feel the pressure. It's not about me, it's about him. And so he fasts, and when he gets done with his fast and prayer, he walks into the hospital room, and without going through all the details, again, it's online if you want to check it out, um, he tells the story, and he cast the demon out of this little girl, and she was completely set free, and she never was bitten by or tormented by these demons ever again. That night, of course, it was all over everywhere. It was all over the world. It made him... Uh, um, not a household name, but a, a nationally, internationally recognized name as a minister. And uh, this is back in the 50s. And so, um, and so he goes home, he tells this story. He's so excited, everybody's rejoicing. He told the testimonies. He's in front of the cameras and saying what, how good God is. He just feels great about it. He goes back to his, his room. If you know anything about the Philippines, it's hot. And so he has the windows open and uh, try to get some fresh air in the nighttime. And um, as he's about ready to fall asleep, all of a sudden, he said, the, a wind came in the window. And the, the, the uh, window, um, as it was coming in, it brought a cold breeze. He said, it was so cold in there. He said, I, he said, I started to shiver. He said, then a stench began to fill the room. He said, like nothing I've ever smelt before in my life, like death. He said, begin to fill the room. He said, all of a sudden, the room began to shake. He said, and my bed was up against a wall in a corner. He said, I had a little dresser on one side, a picture on the wall. You know, he's describing the room. He said, and that bed began to shake so violently, it shook to the middle of the room. He said, the dresser drawers, he said, everything opened up and stuff was on the floor. He said, the picture shook off the wall violently. He says, and I had no fear. He said, I know who you are. You're that devil I casted out today, and you've come to torment me. But in the name of Jesus Christ, I plead the blood of Jesus over me. You have no right whatsoever. I take authority of you and I command you, get out. Get out of my room. He said, man, that he said all of a sudden, man, there's a violent shook, shaking stop. He said that cold breeze stopped. He said the stench began to leave the room and the, he said the curtains blew out, literally blew outside of his room. He said, oh, yeah, we took care of that devil. He said, now I got to thinking about this. Now, this is his story. And I believe him because he's been so accurate in so many things. He said, he started thinking, I didn't mess this room up. Why should I put that bed back and those, that, those, that dresser back together and that, that picture wall? I didn't make this mess. Devil, I command you in the name of Jesus, get back in here and put everything back the way you found it. 
He said, man, that thing, that wind came in that room. He said, the stench filled back up. He said, my bed began to shake back to the other side of the room. He said, the, the dressers went back up. The, the clothes went back into the dresser uh, the drawers. He said, and that picture went right back on the wall. He said, and bang, I command you, go, and never come back again. He said, bang, that thing went. In the, he said, the drapes went outside the room. He said, that devil never came back to me ever again. I like the courage of this man to tell the devil, you have no right to take from me, not even to mess up a little portion of my life. Put it back. Somebody shout, put it back. Shout again, put it back. Ready? Put it back. There we go. Church, what the devil means for evil, God means for your good. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord will set a standard up. Come on, play me in his thing. Somebody shout, put it back. There are some places in God's word where God, God orders a reset and things have to be put back the way that they were. And not just back the way that they were, but there has to be restitution for the trouble. There was a man of God, man of faith in the, the word of God called Abram whose name was later changed to Abraham. And um, he had no son, but God promised that he would have a son in his, his late years. That was a promise that was given to him. And, of course, we know that he and his wife, you know, she snickered about it. She thought, well, I'm too old to have a kid. And, you know, but they carried this promise on the inside of them, not knowing how God was going to do it, but they just knew God would do it. The day came and Sarah, his wife, became pregnant. And when she became pregnant uh, uh, with this child, of course, there was great rejoicing knowing this was a miracle. Only God could do something like this. And when he was born, the child was born, they called him Isaac, which means my little laughter. Because that was the moment when they were promised the son that Sarah began to laugh at the fact that how can I possibly have a son in my old age? It's impossible for it to take place. Yet it happened. And so they decided to call him my little laughter. Think about that. And everywhere he went, that was their little joy, their little bundle of joy, their little laughter. And so uh, the day came that, God's, that God came to, to Abraham and said, look, I want you to take your son, your only son, and take him to Mount Moriah where you worship me yearly. And there, instead of bringing a, a lamb or a, or a ram or some sort of animal for sacrifice, he said, there I want you to take your only son and sacrifice him to me as a burnt offering. And, of course, this was we don't see the arguing with God at all whatsoever with Abraham, but I guarantee you, as a member of being a human being, you can only imagine how his mind must have been just tormenting him, his heart weighing heavy, thinking, how can I do this, that i got to take my little laughter and bring him upon this, this, this place of sacrifice and offer him and, and take his life. How can I do this? He can only do this by faith. When I say by faith, the Bible says he was called the father of faith, I'm saying that he knew that somehow, some way, God would always keep his promises. And if Isaac, his son, was the promise that somehow, some way, he was not going to have to take his son's life. He didn't know how. He didn't know when the moment would be. But he knew that God would ultimately bring deliverance to him because God can't lie. It's impossible. So there will always be a testing. Matter of fact, I told you at the beginning of this year prophetically that this would be a year of testing. I said that. I know a lot of people didn't want to hear that. I didn't necessarily want to hear that until I understood what God was saying. He wasn't going to test us on something we weren't prepared for. He was going to test us on the things that he'd already prepared us for. So when we take the test, we can take it and pass. Somebody say amen. 
I believe God's people are going to pass the test this year. And so, and we're moving in that dimension. Well, uh, the same thing with, with Abraham. The same thing happened with Abraham. And so now we find out that Abraham, he brings his son uh, to this place with two other of his, of his servants. And he tells his servants, look, you stay here. I and the lad, my son, are going to go yonder. We're going to worship God. But watch what he says. But I and the lad shall return. In other words, he's walking by faith. Somehow God's going to bring deliverance. He brings him up to the top of the mountain. You know the story. And even the son says, Father, we have fire. We've got the bindings. We have the wood for the sacrifice. But where is the sacrifice? And he said, son, basically he was saying, trust me. He takes his son. He puts him on the altar. The son doesn't struggle. He binds him to the altar. He fills the altar with wood. He's got the, he's got the fire ready to go. He takes the knife out of his sheath to plunge into his son's own body. And all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord stops him and says, Abraham, God sees. God sees what you've done. Now look over there. There is a ram caught by its horns uh, in the thicket and there is your sacrifice he looks and sees it I'm sure tears rolling down his face he says God has seen your your obedience this day and your faith that will be your sacrifice and he takes it and he slays it and of course he and his son go rejoicing and he lives but God was saying that's going to be a type and a shadow of my son and I'm not going to be able to deliver him. Why? Because the sin of the world will take his very life. He'll be the ultimate sacrifice. Somebody say amen. And so church, there, there's, there's a turnaround getting ready to happen in the spirit for the church, for you and for me. I believe there's a divine reversal. I believe there's a reset that's about to take place in our lives. What seemed to be your inevitable demise now becomes the undeniable surprise. Get ready to open your eyes and see God in another way. See God. He's going to open your eyes and say, I told you, there's a ram right there in the bush the whole time. Your eyes couldn't see it, but behold, there it is. Get ready for some suddenlies to happen in your life. Somebody shout yes. What looked like the end now becomes a new beginning. What feels like it's over now gains new life. And I declare over you that your story isn't over. God is writing a whole series about you, not just a little book, but a whole series of books, and God's about to put it back in your life. Somebody shout, put it back! Yeah, we can expect God to show up in revival in the middle of the summertime. Even when the state fair is going on. Somebody say amen. I said even when state fair is going on. God's got his affairs going on. Come on. There are resets that God puts in his word. That was one of them. Abraham was a reset in the spirit. Another one, another reset, second one that I find, is the three Hebrew men, boys, and how that they were so faithful to serve God. And Nebuchadnezzar was the king and was told by these men that were around him, you know, not all the kings are wicked. Not all the kings are wicked, but sometimes the people around them that have their ears are the ones that are wicked. And uh, convinced him that you should erect a statue. It would be good to erect a statue uh, unto you. And, and then when everybody sees that statue three times a day, they all turn to it, 
and they'll bow down and they'll worship the image of you, O king. Well, this sounded good to him, but what he didn't know, it was a ploy. You know, the devil's always got, let me tell you something, when things happen in the earth, always look for two reasons why. There's two main reasons why things change in the earth for the worse and not for the good. Number one, it's an attack on God's people. It's an attack on his church, in other words, and it's an attack on the Jews. You'll always see those two groups always being attacked first and foremost, right? And, um, and so <laughs> he says to him, he says, um, he said, that's good. Let's go ahead and erect this thing. But it was for the purpose of taking out three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, because they, they would not bow to the king. We're going to make them bow. We're going to make them bend. And if they don't, O king, what we should do, anybody who doesn't bend or bow to your image, well, O king, I think we should build a fiery furnace. And we'll throw them into that furnace and we'll burn them alive. And that will teach people if they don't bow, they burn. Much like society today, they don't maybe have a real furnace, but they've got one in the emotional sense, in, in the... In the, in the uh, the sense of if you don't do what they ask you to do, they're going to burn you alive or take you out or take you down. And um, Nebuchadnezzar said, let's do it. And so three times a day, they were to, to bow, and they caught Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego every time not bending and not bowing to the king's image. Well, this was told to the king, and of course the king didn't want to hear it, but he said, well, bring him in. We're going to have to put them in the furnace. And they stoked that furnace seven times hotter than it was. And they threw these men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, into the fiery furnace to be burned alive. These men made the statement very clear, very clear. And they said, we, O king, will not bow, will not bend. And even if we go into the fire, our God shall deliver us. They didn't know how like Abraham. You know, when it comes to resets that happen in the world, we need some brave people that are willing to do whatever it takes. Sometimes God doesn't deliver you from the furnace. Sometimes God doesn't deliver you from the altar. Sometimes God doesn't deliver you from the lion's den. Sometimes you got to walk in those things, but there God will restore and God will put you where you need to be. Somebody say amen. Am I preaching right? And so they threw him in, and they, when they threw him in, the men that threw him in were burnt alive. They literally lost their life throwing these guys in. But these guys are walking around in the fire, and the only thing that got burned were the things that were binding them in the first place. And then the king said, I thought we threw three men in there. But there's a fourth man in the fire, and he looks like the son of God. I'm here to tell at least two people here this morning that even though you feel like you're in the fire and you've been going through a little bit of a burning and a process and a purification, just know that your God will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. If you make your bed in hell, he'll be there with you. Somebody shout, my God is with me always. And Jesus was with them in the Old Testament. Jesus with us in the New. Somebody shout, yes. I may end up in a flaming, fiery furnace of trouble, but I will not bow my knee to the culture of this generation telling and demanding me, you got to change the way you think. you got to change your traditions because they hurt my little feelings. Honey, I'm not here to hurt your feelings, but I am here to make sure that God's, his ways are being upheld, his ways are being right, that people know exactly what he thinks. 
We need the people of God to stand up, cry loud, and spare not. It's not about you and your feelings. It's about what my God thinks. And my applause does not come from you. My applause comes from heaven. Church, it's so easy to just bow down and give in to the cancel culture. But I want to issue a warning this morning. It's a lie. It is lying deception to think that you'll receive peace and unity if you'll just give in to the culture. Just do what we want and we'll get off your backs. Sometimes you got to get into the pressure. Sometimes you got to get in that den. Sometimes you got to get in that fiery furnace. Sometimes it just has to happen for the reset to take place, for God to begin to bring deliverance to his people. And then when they came out of that fiery furnace, they were promoted next to the king. Third reset we see in God's word is Job. And Job was a man, the Bible says, that was very wealthy, had a good life, he loved God. People, theologians, considered the oldest book in the Bible, Job, that he was around many, many years before a lot of the other prophets came onto the scene, that he was, in fact, a prophet himself. He, he, and a priest because he offered sacrifices for his family. And the Bible gives a great description of Job. If you want to read it, it's a really great account. And um, I wanted to share the scriptures with you because I, I can't say it better than the Bible does. And this is his life. He's wealthy. He's got a great life with God. But something happens in Job chapter 1. And I believe it's verse 1. I may have gotten that wrong, guys. Put up on the screen real quick to see if I got it right. Yes, got it right. I'm getting better, guys. They always got to find scripture. That's not right. So it's Job 13. 13 to what? 20? Okay. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them when the Sabians raided them and took them away. Indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone... Uh, have escaped to tell you. Okay, that's one. While he's still speaking, another also came and said, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, you're talking about a bad day. He said, the Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels, and took them away. Yes, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped. I want you to look at the response of Job. Job doesn't point a finger at God. Job doesn't turn around and say, God, how is it you treat me this way? I have offered sacrifices. I have done this. I have done that. And if it was too little, I'd give you more. Whatever you wanted. And yet this happens to me. Not just bad news, but terrible news. He loses Everything he's enjoyed, including his children, which he loves. 
He arose, he tears his robe, he's, he shaves his head. In other words, he is in complete mourning and sorrow, but he falls to the ground and worships God. Then in Job 42, after Job wrestles with God for a season, in verse 10, watch this. And the Lord restored Job's losses. And when he prayed for his friends, indeed the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Church, this God's not going to leave you in a place of sorrow. This God didn't cause that to happen. This is not something he wanted to happen. The enemy, and you'll see, you'll see the, if you read the account, you'll find out Satan took advantage of the situation, couldn't touch Job, but everything around Job, he'd rather probably just die than live. But he kept living anyways unto God, worshiping God. When everybody said, curse God and die, Job, your life is but a curse. He said, no, how can I, he's the living God. How can I turn my back on the living God? He's God. And because of that, as he ministers to his friends, God restores twice as much as Job ever had. Then all his brothers and all his sisters and all those who had been his acquaintances before came to him and ate food with him in his house. And they consoled him and comforted him for all the adversity that the Lord had brought upon him. Each one gave him a piece of silver and each a ring of gold. Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more, more than his beginning. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm prophesying that. God's going to bless you more in the end than you are in the beginning. You just, you're, if you're just beginning, guess what? That's good, but you're going to have a whole lot more in the end. For he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 female donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters in all the land were, were, were found no women so beautiful as the daughters of Job. And their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years. Don't know how long he lived before that, but he lived 140 years from that moment on, uh, longer, and his children and grandchildren uh, for four generations. He saw them up to four generations. So Job died old and full of days. What you're going through is a bump in the road. There's a reset that's coming to you and everything that's been stolen, God's going to put back, but he's going to give you double for your trouble. You got Bible on that. I said you got Bible on that. Folks, God can change the very verdict that was set against you. Even if you were guilty, look what Job twenty two thirty says. He will even deliver one who is not innocent. Yes, he will be delivered by the purity of your hands. God knows your nastiness. He knows how destructive you've been. He knows how sinful you've been. But quit reminding him about how bad you are and start repenting. What does repentance mean? It means to turn it around. Put your life back. Get back to the top. Repent. Penthouse. Repent. Get back to the top. Amen. And when you repent, God can put you back in right relationship with him. Number four and finally, uh, the, the, the greatest of all the resets is Jesus walking the earth as a man. He's the son of God, walking as the son of man, uh, being tempted in all points like an man, yet without sin. He goes to the slaughter of the cross like a sheep to the shears. The Bible says he goes innocently there. He's done no wrong. He dies a sinner's death. Why the why sinner's death? Because that was the death I deserved. It was the death you deserved. But he goes to that cross. He pays the ultimate price uh, for his sin. Everything that he had was taken from. He literally was stripped naked on the cross and the, he had no tomb so he had to, he had to, he had be, his body had been laid in a man, another man's tomb that was already paid for but Jesus didn't pay for it 
You know, God will take care of you even in death. But my point is, is that Jesus was stripped from everything. But was he? Was he maybe, in fact, walking in the will of God, but the will of God didn't turn out the way that he thought, but in the end, God still offered a resurrection? Our God is a resurrection kind of God. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Somebody say amen. And three days later, he come up out of that borrowed tomb. He didn't need it long. He don't need it for three days. He come up out of that tomb. He was completely glorified, completely different. Walks the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. He builds up his disciples, calls them his apostles, ascends to heavens, the right hand of the throne of God. Now is a chief intercessor in heaven over your life and mine. So we're never alone. We never walk alone. We have an intercessor with God that's always interceding on our behalf. Somebody say amen. And Jesus was the last Adam, not the second Adam, but the last Adam. The first Adam had everything in perfection. He was the, he was the ultimate perfection of God in the earth, but he fell in his sin. And so therefore, God had to have a plan of redemption. And the plan of redemption was his son. Well, God's so cruel to take his own son's life. No, it wasn't the cruelty of God. It's the cruelty of sin and the disobedience of mankind that brought his son to the cross. Jesus just said, I'll step up and I'll be that sacrifice. Because nobody else can, Father. And Jesus and God said, if you'll do that, I make you a promise. I'll raise you from the dead. You'll not stay in the tomb, but you will be alive. You will be glorified, and you will sit at my right hand. You're not going to be the second Adam. You're the last Adam, because nobody will ever come after you. You're the one and only. Why did he become the second Adam? Or the last Adam instead of the second Adam? So he could put our authority back into our hand. So now we're back just like where Adam was in the beginning of time. We walk with God in right relationship because of the blood of Jesus Christ. We have a right, we have, we have, we have, we walk in rightness with God, righteousness, you say, every day of our life because of the blood of Jesus Christ. We have authority on the earth because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus brought our authority and put it back. Somebody say amen. Give the Lord a shout of praise. My time is up. Come on, shout like you believe it. Shout like you're expecting it. Shout like you know this God is about to put it back in your life. He'll put back the broken pieces. He'll make it right again. Come on.